Hey, it's the True Party King, architect of the scheme in mind, palace. Scheme City. If we learn anything from growing up in New York City, it is that we all have dreams, but if you want to get ahead, you gotta have schemes. Yeah, New York City is definitely a scheme city in pretty much every sense of the word. I feel like no matter where you've grown up in this city or whatever amount of time you've spent here, there's some degree to which you are scheming in some way, shape, or form, right? Like we've all, we've all got some sort of scheme and we've managed to sort of just pull it all together here. Yeah, because like, you, you do kind of need a, a bit of Machiavellianism in order to really get where you need to go. And that doesn't mean, you know, you're necessarily doing anything wrong or illegal. You're just kind of pushing the boundaries of what you think are acceptable to get where your soul truly believes it needs to go. I think this is a great opportunity to talk about sort of just the way we think about morality. I think that we often think about morals as something that is something that is just good because it's the right thing to do versus I think that a lot of times people will go for what is the thing they consider moral, but they will sacrifice the thing that's actually good for them. And so I wonder, is it possible to do something that's moral if you're sacrificing your own self in the process of doing that. Right, because I suppose if it is considered moral, then shouldn't you not need to truly sacrifice anything? If you are sacrificing something, then that means that it does actually go against the morals that you truly believe and not the morals that you believe that you believe. Not the morals right. that you feel like right. you should be what do you following. Think, what do you follow? What do you believe in versus what is it that you think you believe, follow, and believe in and follow and trust in? But in reality, it's that's someone else's idea that you're parading around. I think that's something that we're all very guilty of. Yep, yep, yep. Most certainly. And after that very introspective question, I feel like I should introduce the guest that I have on this episode of the Scheming Mind Palace Season 3. It is my dear friend from high school that I, the two of us grew together actually a lot more in college and afterwards when we were really figuring out our true place in the world. Pranay Advani. Take it away. It's a pleasure to be here, Luca. So... Just wanted to first of all thank you for you know giving me an opportunity to you know come use this platform and really just you know get the message out there. Yeah, no, thank you very much also for being a part of this. I feel as though the neon fire escape that we're on right now is very much an inspiration of a lot of the scheme sessions that Pernay and I would undergo. One of which especially was on the last Fourth of July where we initially had the idea of basically just painting the entire like this two block radius of the city as like a step before our true like super scheme so another concept that i'm starting to begin is the idea of 
like the scheme, which is the thing you're doing right now that's getting you to where you need to go in life. Then there's the sub-scheme, which is the sort of subconscious little smaller things that you do in your day that you don't even necessarily take awareness of, like breathing or whatever. That's maybe not the best example, but it's like brushing your teeth or whatever. You don't really pay attention to it. You just have to do it. And then there's the super scheme, like the meta scheme, the overall thing that everything is kind of coalescing towards. And I feel like for Pranay and I, that super scheme was to create a city in Dallas, essentially, or around Dallas slash Fort Worth. If we want to hop right into that, or we can wait for later, because I actually like to keep a little structure of first laying out the prior schemes, like the, the things that led up to this main scheme that we're inhabiting right now in the present, then the present scheme we're undergoing, and then our future schemes that we're planning out. So I guess to start off, we should discuss the pre-scheme. How did we lead up to this sort of paint the town, uh, neon fire escape kind of scheme or whatever? Yeah. Probably overusing the word a little bit, but you know. So... I mean, I think it's funny, right? Like the two of us have always had, I guess, you know, a degree of common interest that we may have not even like fully explored or really talked about up until much more recently where it's like, you know, I've always been interested in real estate and, you know, the growth of cities and how that all sort of like comes together. And you've always been into architecture. I've always, you know, you know you've always sort of, you know, been involved in that whole world. And so... I don't think we really started talking about that stuff until at least maybe two, three years ago. Yeah. Um, probably as I was just like starting to get into what I was doing. I think you were still at architecture school. And yeah, I think I met a couple of your friends from architecture school who are, you know, like out around the city now, like working on really interesting projects, stuff like that. And I mean, for me, that's, that's just been something that's an interest of mine ever since probably since I was like 12 or 13, I've been just like drawing. I can remember back to when I was 12, when I drew my first just like fantasy map of New York City, where it was like, it was Manhattan, but it was just extra avenues, extra streets. And it just kind of like went off, kind of like jazz, just sort of went off randomly. And I don't know, from then on out, pretty much, 95% of the time I was ever like bored in class I wouldn't just doodle I would just like draw a city and like create my own system like create my own legend for it have like you know this means tunnel this means bridge this means park this means railway station this means school this means jail this means you know downtown area this means suburbs and this is sort of just how it all breaks down so that's just something that I've been like at a personal level, like, like just something that I've nerded out on for, for well over a decade now. You know, when I went to college, I, I, I was into urban planning, spent a lot of time, you know, in academic settings there, sort of further hashing out some of these ideas, being able to sort of use, you know, different cities, at, like just being able to get graded on a project where I was able to sort of, you know, create a thesis to how you can make this a more walkable city, how you could make it more equitable to all members of society, how you could, you know, make it more accessible 
no matter what part of the city that you're in to have, you know, groceries or entertainment or, you know, congregation spaces. And so I thought it would be a great opportunity now for us to be sitting down together just because, you know, the entire world has basically changed in the last five months. And I think that, you know, the way in which we've responded at an international level of let's basically just stop conducting business as we know it, right? Like human beings, I think in my view, at, at this point in time, you know, we've been doing this for so many thousands of years, like it's very much in our nature nature, to be number one, social creatures, and number two, to conduct business with each other. I think those are two things that are just very much part of the human experience, right? And you may not even realize this, but I mean, how many times do you pull out your wallet in a day? Right, that is conducting business. You, you are participating in a system of someone creating a good or a service, and you being a consumer paying for that. Right, you are on one or the other side of that system, and there has been some form of that system in place for as long as we've had the written word, basically, about five or six thousand years. And so now I, I feel like we're in such a place where the very definition of what it means to conduct business, what it means to create a good or a service for someone is being rewritten. And, you know, I think that there's, there's a lot that I would say, you know, that I'm already kind of missing about our old way of life, you know, just being able to hang around a bunch of people, not being sort of apprehensive of one another and all that stuff. And, you know, whether that comes back or not and how it comes back, I'm not here to, I'm, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I can't tell you that. However, what I'm already seeing just from an urban planning perspective and from a real estate perspective is that our cities are adapting because at the end of the day, our cities, and this is, I guess, sort of the central point that I want to make here is that our cities are a reflection of who we are as individuals. New York City is an expression of eight and a half million people, each of whom has their individual stories and experiences that make up the overall story of New York. And then you have the people from before then and the people who will come after us. And I think that as we are in this time, I think New York City specifically is such a place where you're seeing drastic changes because we're such a tightly packed city that it's sort of the onus is on us as lifelong New Yorkers to sort of come up with an idea of, you know, what does it mean to be a New Yorker? What does it mean to be like a cosmopolitan person in a city of eight and a half million people, people may be leaving the city to go to places like, you know, Dallas or Florida that we'll get into later on. But what happens in New York? What does New York look like for the next five, 10 years? So I think that's just sort of the, the stage that I would like to be talking from, I guess, you know, I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts from like an architecture perspective as well as from an artist's perspective of, you know, being the, the progenitor here of the neon revolution you know, how do you think that that can sort of be an opening for all of us to really start thinking more about, you know, what, what does it mean to live here? Like, what, what's our life like here? What are, what are those moments of happiness? What are those moments of, you know, it's really, I'm still happy to be a New Yorker. I'm still happy to live here. This is like why I've left where I've left, where I've left my family. I've left smaller towns to come here and really make something happen. Like, what does that mean to you? Like, where does New York 
seemed to me. I mean, New York is definitely a unique place in that it's able to coalesce so many different people that are able to navigate such a tight spot so effortless, effortlessly through like the subway system and such that you don't really have to worry about like local gossip or you don't have to worry about someone from like your past that you knew coming back to haunt you all the time or really feeling like you have to spend time with a certain group of people because they're the only ones that are even in the city like no in new york city you have an almost endless bounty of options with that or even like when finding romantic partners so you never really as long as, long as you have the right mindset you never really need to need to live in uh, in scarcity in a sense, at least in terms of like, peop like people connections. There are obviously things like how much it costs that are obviously very uh, scarcity inducing, but I feel like comparing New York to other cities that are more open, the density and the culture is, is definitely shown in just the area that we live in. Like, I mean, look, look at the background over here. I feel like... Yeah, right here on the fire escape. I figured we had to record this episode outside because we, like, like when you were saying before how we are, like, the cities are communities and they aren't representative as individuals, I think that's because we as humans aren't individuals. We are communities. We are a community of cells. We're a community of different life, like, not even just human cells. We are a community of bacterial cells and fungal cells and all of those sort really of things. Levels of existence. Exactly. It's those different levels of existence and consciousness. And we're essentially just continuing to fractalize and notice where we are and where we're going just on different scales. Yeah, I mean, and most scales we don't even understand. Like all we can really understand is society in terms of people, not necessarily as like society as a group of cells. Because, you know, science is always evolving. But I feel like this part's getting pretty pretty heady, as you can tell. The, the two of us definitely get along very well because we're both very open to long-form, very introspective conversations. So I feel like now it would be a good time to move on, unless you have another thing to say about our past schemes that led up to the scheme. Um, yeah, I definitely don't want us to get too sidetracked here. but I, mean, okay, I want this to flow pretty well. I guess the the one thing that I'll just throw on top of that is our when we talk about collective consciousness, right? Like we're a collection of cells. Each individual cell has its consciousness. But then if you think about it at a higher level, who are we as a society? That's kind of a question that you can ask yourself from the level of who are we as Tribeca, New York? Who are we as New York City? Who are we as the state of New York? Who are we as America? Who are we as Earthlings? Right? That, that's a question that is answered differently. Who are we as a family? Who are we as a group of friends? Right? Like there's different answers to that question at different levels. Because at the end of the day, each level is just a collection of some sort of social interaction in a way. Right? Cells are sort of interaction, interacting with each other at a certain degree. Um, human beings, friends and family are interacting with each other at a certain social level. At a city level, you have groups of people interacting with each other at social levels. At the national level, you have cities interacting and so on and so on, right? So I think that as we sort of dive into this, we're gonna, I guess we're gonna be talking a lot about, you know, the future of, of urban America in many ways. 
I think that it's really important to keep in mind that as we social distance forever, how, for however long that may go, that really social distancing is more physical distancing. And we need to consistently be very conscious about how do we maintain that social fabric that connects us through time. Very, very well said. I definitely agree with that because there are definitely a lot of things that we miss and lose in this new like cove reality. One of the things that I definitely don't like as much is that because everyone wears masks, you can't really tell their facial expressions. They all just feel like they're all just trying to rob you, like rob a bank or something because they're all wearing fucking masks, like bandanas and stuff. Like we're all cowboys. And like you, you were when you were walking in tonight. <laughs> but there's also a lot of things that I kind of enjoy. Like I'm someone that doesn't like to talk to as terrible as to say, I like to talk to my delivery people and I kind of like how these days they just kind of put the food in the elevator and you can just dig it up. Okay, there it is. No human contact that is not necessary. Wait, did I say that right? Whatever. Point is, that is the lead in to our current scheme, which is the painting of the fire escape, which I already did. And it may be legal. I don't quite know. Uh, I talked to my architecture friend and he was like, yeah, your dad should probably know about this because you might have to fucking repaint everything. If that's the true. Oh, well, <laughs> it is fun while it has lasted. I will show some amazing photos over here of a lot of the projects that have been done out on the, uh, the fire escape. I'm just I'm pointing into like the, the screen area where I'm going to throw up some images. Yeah, you know it. And so, yeah. That is basically where this has come. And now that I am leaving in two days to go back to Italia, I have decided to end it here and end our little podcast series out here, gazing upon the city that has connected me with so many people that I love and I know will get me to where I need to go in life because we're all very motivated and are pushing forward. Like... I, I really feel as though these days I want to just be close to those that are going in the same direction as I am. People that have the same kind of drive and like aren't afraid of other success. Because there are a lot of people that maybe like they'll like you. Like they'll like you while they're more profitable and they're bigger than you. But once you're bigger than them, then they don't like you anymore. Like, no, to hell with that. If now you're bigger than me, like I want to know how so then I can become bigger than you again. Like, that's that's where the fun is where it becomes like a race and we're all just you know trying to get to the top (laughs) the best way to do that is through competition so yeah that's kind of where that leads and i feel like that's i mean unless you have anything to add about our current present scheme of this fire escape luminosity should we dive into the future schemes franklin to fort worth Okay, so I guess we'll, we'll, we'll talk about talk about what we're doing right now is we want to take what exists here with this fire escape, with this this neon theme that when you take a look at it, you know, it's, it just adds a certain new element to 
your average street in New York, right? It's like, what's going on here? Why is there all these colors that exist in blacklight? Who are these people? What are they doing? Right? So we actually happen to be on Franklin Street between Broadway and Church. And then the next block over is West Broadway. So we were up the other night on, uh, on July 4th, actually. And we were sort of out here on this fire escape looking down. We were thinking to ourselves, you know, there's, there's a lot that we can do here in terms of urban space and creating these places where people can sort of feel hopeful about the future, you know, while still feeling safe. I think that's something that's so important is that as our cities, they're not going anywhere. It's like they're, they never, they're not going anywhere, right? So these cities need to incorporate our current reality. And the current reality for all the inhabitants of New York City is a lot of them are a lot of them are confused. They don't know sort of what what is going on anymore or sort of how to how to even interact in a place so closely affiliated with density and everyone being tightly packed next to each other. So our thinking was that why don't we throw a little block party here? We block off Franklin Street from Broadway to West Broadway. It's two blocks. There's an open little triangle parkway at the end on West Broadway. And we just create a gigantic mural that we paint. And we throw neon down from our, uh, from our roof over here, from our fire buckets. escape. We're just going to throw buckets down. And we're going to throw them from here, and they're going to land two blocks away on West Broadway. That or my my idea was perhaps get like a massive paint roller, like the size of the street, and just like they're constructed inside. No one, no one is aware it's going to happen in like middle of the night. We maybe we'll have it recording on the fire escape. Someone takes it out when the whole street is clear and just and then it's permanently neon, highly illegally. So that's kind of the reason why. So we just wanted to give you a forewarning here that. The next time you're in Tribeca, just know that we had a, an extensive conversation with the mayor's office and they wanted us to bring out a positive message in the name of Neon and in the name of everyone coming together for a brighter future and a brighter America, an America that glows in the dark. <laughs> so yeah. that's our plan here for Franklin Street. And we think that right there is a great sort of jumping off point, a great foundation that we can both use to then work on something even bigger. Do you want to sort of give a little intro as to, to what we're talking about here? I mean, basically, I feel like both of us are highly interested in creating our own, uh, our own sort of community in a sense, our own group of people and in our own town that's sort of based upon our values of sustainability and uh, in independence and just co coming to yourself, like understanding yourself and to become the best version of yourself while also contributing to the community doing something called the, uh, the Ubuntu movement, which is specifically called the uh, small town movement originating in uh, South Africa. Essentially it's about 
uh, creating this community in which every single individual, no matter how important, if they're like a plumber or a doctor, commits three hours a week to the, the public good, to creating or making some like food, something else that like the town sells and then profits off of and then everyone sort of benefits from the town. Because by essentially doing this, you create abundance in ways that you never could in a traditional capitalistic society. So it's like it's, it's a normal capital, capitalist society, but there's this la- layer of, I guess, socialism. But I feel like a more productive socialism and one that actually kind of works because the city, a city could never, ever, ever afford to basically hire every single person that lived in it for three hours a week. Like it would just be impossible. But because it's built upon a foundation of trust and understanding that this is for the greater good, people are more willing to sacrifice that amount of time for this like town or city that they're in. And that was sort of my original idea, but there, there are obviously a lot of elements that I think Pernay is a little bit better at touching upon in terms of our uh, Dallas slash Fort Worth area, like the highway systems and such. Sure. Yeah, that, I can I can go on for hours about that, but we can throw up like one of those dope videos right over there. We'll we'll throw a little uh, little mini symphony as I'm as I'm talking through some of these highways, but basically, I guess the first thing I wanted to say there with with regards to the Ubuntu movement, sort of these you know self sustaining cities, that's something that you know I've definitely been familiar with. You know, having been involved in urban planning and you know, sustainability for a long period of time. I've always been interested in things like vertical farming and just urban farming in general. And I think that, you know, being able to create these communities, they work. I think So I think just to, to give a little bit of background, right? I think a lot of Americans have a misconception as to what is socialism, right? A lot of us look to Sweden and Denmark as sort of the examples of socialism working. Um, but what people don't realize is that the actual creation of wealth is still a capitalistic model. It's the distribution of wealth that is socialist. So in a many, in a similar way with an Ubuntu movement, right? You need to be able to put in something that creates a degree of value for the society, which is then distributed in, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a bunch of different ways, right? Which, which is decided at a, at a different level. Um, but something that's also important here to consider is that this works much more effectively at a local level and with a smaller population, you know, to, to get 50 million people to agree on something is going to be much harder than to get 5,000 people to at least agree broadly to something, right? Even getting 5,000 people to agree to something can be tough. So now when we're talking, we keep talking about Dallas, Fort Worth, and you guys are probably wondering like, why do they keep talking about Dallas, Fort Worth? What, what's going on down there? Um, so for me personally, you know, I'm, I'm in the real estate business. I've, I've been, up here in New York now for the past several years working over here. And I've just noticed this massive trend over the last several years. And I think that trend is in fact spiked significantly in the last two to three years in particular. And now with COVID, I think even more so, which is that a lot of new investors here in New York no longer are, uh, they're, they're, they're looking elsewhere. They're looking in other cities around the country as their uh, as their target markets to put their capital to build real estate to build new apartments to build new retail to renovate existing real estate and to really just create some of these really 
prized, treasured urban centers that we've come to love and in many take in many cases take for granted in a place like New York. So I think what's specifically interesting to me about Dallas Fort Worth is that if you look at most American cities, I don't remember where I've originally heard this from, but someone had said that if you want to look at three cities that are unique in America, you look at New York, you look at New Orleans, and you look at San Francisco. Those are three cities with unique architecture, with a unique urban characteristic. Um, I would say that a lot of people who you know, would talk about this would also say on the other side of that coin, yeah, every other city in America looks the same. I'm sure you've heard that many times. Every city in America looks alike. It's all parking lots. It's all highways. It's all cars. And for a long time, I really, I subscribe to that as well. I agree with it very strongly. However, a number of different factors have made me change my mind on this. Number one was seeing the number of investors based in New York and California who are trying to put their money to work in states ranging from North Carolina to Texas and everywhere in between. Why is this happening? Why are people shifting their money down there? A couple of reasons. Number one, lower taxes. It's a huge reason. Number two, uh, business-friendly climates. It's easier to just start businesses down there. Um, And number three, job growth, right? So a lot of companies, for the first two reasons, are actually relocating their headquarters. A lot of the, for example, Bay Area... A lot of the tech companies are relocating to Austin. You may have recently heard that Tesla is building a massive billion-dollar facility outside of Austin. Apple is doing the same. Together with them and Amazon, they're creating 11,000 new jobs in the Austin area. Dallas is also becoming a major, major hub for finance, for tech, for other services. And Dallas-Fort Worth as as a region is actually one of the largest metropolitan regions in the United States along with Houston. Texas in general is one of the most business-friendly states in the country right now. Um, One of the big reasons is that they have no state income tax, something that if you live in New York, you're curious because now we're hearing our governor talking about raising property taxes while we already have crazy high state taxes. So good luck with that. I'm on my way out of here for the next few years. Um, Here we go. So really... The reason I think Dallas-Fort Worth is so particularly interesting is that the infrastructure fully embraces the car culture. And I think that in the year 2020, in a post-COVID-19 world, I actually strongly believe that American cities are very well set up to adapt to this new normal that we're hearing about. And just to give one example, and then I'll I'll hand it off to Luca to sort of add to this, but think about the number of parking lots that exist in a city like Dallas, where you have highways intersecting with highways intersecting with more highways intersecting with major roads intersecting with more highways. And we'll, we'll talk more about the highways, but 
let's just talk about some of the major roads. Let's say you're driving past a Taco Bell, a TJ Maxx, a, and a, just a gigantic parking lot with a strip center, right? What is happening in these places now, and you're seeing it all across the country, is that these parking lots are being taken back. They're being taken back by new retail. You can see, for example, a, sh- a strip center, a shopping center, which once had a parking lot for, let's say, a thousand cars. Now the parking lot has 800 cars and you have a new restaurant. It could be a national chain. It could be an independent restaurant. What I think that is a huge opportunity for us, you know, putting our heads together here is let's take that a step further. We're seeing commercial development. We're seeing new retail in these centers. What if we can see new green spaces? What if we can see new agricultural uses in city limits, right? If we take a, a metroplex such as Dallas-Fort Worth, which has over 7 million people within its limits with excellent car infrastructure, excellent connectivity, compared to other major cities, good traffic, how can we take this infrastructure, which is prime, which uses the land, which uses so much land that we can readapt and reuse for these modern purposes of safe social spaces, green spaces, safe public transportation, green renewals, things of this nature, which I think a lot of us really want to get behind but can be difficult to visualize in a metropolis so compact and dense as New York City. I think that Dallas-Fort Worth, with its existing infrastructure, which we'll start talking about more, is almost like a prime canvas upon which to develop this model of the future urban America. I'm going to hand it off to you to to add to that. All right. Yeah, well, that that was a lot. And I think... (laughs) After this, we might have to start wrapping it up because <laughs> we are past the half hour mark. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I feel like le- leaving your mark is is very important, whether it's like physical paint, like we were talking about before, throwing buckets off, or just through a form of legacy that just helps like cement your your name and ideals throughout time. Like to be one of those people that others study because we know like oh they're so effective like it's like benjamin franklin like there's like the benjamin franklin work ethic routine that you can find online because everyone you see that they're like huh yeah exactly because he was like so hardcore but you know he got stuff done he has a hundred dollar bill named after him (laughs) like benji was no joke so yeah i feel like that is mostly my opinion and, and pray tackled pretty much everything that I wanted to say and more so. So I will wrap up my end of the discussion of that, unless he has anything to ask of me. And yeah, in terms of like the future schemes, I'm definitely very excited about being able to go and join you in Dallas and Fort Worth. Once we've uh, basically cemented our, our ability to transform a space and create a new like light city here in New York city. So that when we move over there, we're like in it and 
hit the ground running, bam, buy a town. <laughs> so yeah, uh, Pranay, we'll pass it off to you if you have any uh, closing remarks for yeah, the Scheming sure. Mind Palace audience. So the one thing that I, I wanted to just sort of throw out to, to both of us to talk about for a second here is how can we visualize this coming into reality, right? Let's, let's create like a specific framework. Let's say that we are coming off a beautiful highway, just a, a perfect intersection where all the roads are flowing into each other. Everyone's crossing each other at 70 miles an hour. All of a sudden, there's a fantastic opportunity to exit off of the highway into a brand new suburb. And now you're driving down this road in this brand new suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. And you see a nice big parking lot with, let's say that it's an abandoned shopping center. Let's say that it's completely blank canvas. What would you want there? What would be some of the things that you'd want to do with this piece of land to really embrace Let's say two themes right now. Let's say art and sustainability. Well, I feel like if I were given the ability to do whatever I wanted and there didn't seem to be, an, I guess, necessarily a lack of any other thing that is like incredibly critical, like, I don't know, some other sort of business or infrastructure setup, then I would have some sort of a indoor vertical farm slash creativity space thing set up because that is kind of the mind palace brand and the whole idea of the mind palace is that it can scale to any size it doesn't necessarily have to be one single way because everyone has their own way of meditating and reaching the flow state so if there's a way to basically scale up this personalized small condensed uh, experience into one where consumes an entire super mall or stretch malls worth that'd be pretty exciting and i'd be very i'm very looking forward to eventually de designing something of the like in our future city pranay yeah just I, I just thought of one thing there which is that you know like you said the mind palace is something very versatile and it's something that's very unique to the individual or set of individuals that are actually using it Right. So it just made me think that, you know, you, whether it's a retail center, whether it's like an apartment complex, any place that like people are, you know, living together is an opportunity to build one of these. Yeah, no, definitely makes a lot of sense. You know, anywhere where people want nutritional independence, be able to grow your own food and basically explore your own psyche is the place to do it. <laughs> So, Pranay, you got any uh, lasting remarks besides the, the question, or, did, or do you have more to add to it? Um, yeah, I mean, other than that, really just, I think it's just very important that we're always, always thinking about two things. Number one is sort of who are the people that I'm, you know, surrounding myself with on a regular basis and sort of how, like, and I guess leading off of that, number two is like, what kind of lifestyle is that, is that creating, right? So when you're thinking about this from like the perspective of a city and when you think about that at the micro level, the level of a mind palace, 
who are the people that I'm spending time with and, you know, what kind of, what can we create together that really encapsulates sort of the, the best essence of who we are as a group, as a tribe. That's yeah, no. Right yeah, all right. No, no, definitely. So, Pranay, do you have uh, anything you want to plug? Any uh, yeah, why not? social stuff? Why not? You can follow me at Pranay Advani. That's P-R-A-N-A-Y A-D-V-A-N-I. Luke will have it written up top. Although you should say it too, so I know how to spell it. Um, you can find me at on Instagram, my Instagram. Let's let's delete out that first part um, that I just did the plug. Oh, okay. Why? Why do you want to? Okay, okay, okay. Um, yeah. So my my Instagram handle is BD Jalile, and Luca is gonna need to spell that out for you, so he'll have it right up there. All right. Thanks, man. All right. So wait. So, so wait. You don't want to plug? What, real or future? Yeah. Yeah. That's well. right. Yeah. I mean, it's this this whole thing is named okay, after, okay, isn't okay, it? Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. So last thing. No, no. It's so much more fun when people see how much we mistake mis- okay, making. We'll do that in the bloopers. <laughs> All right, guys. If you want to learn more, you can find me at realurbanfuture.com. That's realurbanfuture.com. All right. Sounds awesome. Thank you guys for watching, and I will see you next time on an episode of the Scheming Mind Palace podcast or vodcast because we got this whole video thing set up now. So thank you very much, and I'll see you next time.